You can go ahead and grab a seat. Thank you so much for making it to the 9.30 service this morning. <laughs> really glad, really glad that you are here. I got my California driver's license finally this week. It came in the mail. Yep. You should clap because it took me three times going to the DMV. It took me three times. And no one else's fault but mine. The first time that I went to the DMV, I, um, I brought the forms like you're supposed to, uh, to prove residency, but all of the bills to where we live um, are in my wife's name at this time. And so they say, after, after I waited like an hour for my number to be called, I go up to the counter and they say, we can't take any of these. So I got home and had to switch some bills to uh, my name so that we, I could go for a second time. I go the second time and um, I read online, you're to bring um, a copy of your W-2. And I brought a copy of my W-2, but it's not supposed to be a copy. It's supposed to be original. And so after waiting another hour, I got to the counter and didn't have an original W-2, brought a copy of the W-2. So I had, went back a third time. The DMV gives you multiple opportunities. And so I went a third time, though I walked through the valley of the shadow of the DMV a third time. This time they called my number and I brought this file up there. I mean, I brought all kinds of stuff and I, I put it there and the sweet woman behind the counter says, I only need a couple of proofs of residency. I said, ma'am, I, this is my third time here. I'm laying it all on the table. I'm bringing everything. And so I, I, I passed and I'm in, I'm in, I made it. But it took three times, it took three times. And going to the DMV is not something that you typically think of. I wanna do over, I wanna do the DMV again. But there's other things in life where people say that. People say, you know, I would love a do-over, another opportunity. That's a common phrase that people will say now. I really wish I had an opportunity to replay that conversation. Or I, I would love to have another chance to think through that decision or the move that we made as a company. And we relish the opportunities in a world that really does not give us second opportunities often. We relish those second opportunities, those third opportunities that the Lord has given us. Some of you have moved to Orange County and, and have, I've talked to you in the patio. This is like a, a, a new start for you. A fresh start is perhaps language that you've used. Some have taken a, a new career path and this is a new opportunity, a, a do-over, a second chance to put into practice lessons you learned in some other career or some other profession or some other job. Grandparents have said, I love being a grandparent. I get to do over things that I didn't do with my kids the first time around. And it's glorious because at the end of the day, I hand them back. It's awesome. It's awesome to have a do-over. And in the passage of scripture that we're going to look at today, we're going to be confronted and comforted with this really good news that God is a God, not only of second chances. Some have said that, that the God we worship is a God of second chances, but he's much more than the God of second chances. He gives us infinite number of opportunities to respond to his goodness and to come back to him and enjoy the invitation that he gives us to follow him. And so you're gonna be comforted today with the reality that God gives us new opportunities, that his mercies are new every single day. You're gonna be comforted with that. But you're also, as we study this passage in the book of Jonah today, you're going to be confronted with, do I view the new opportunities that the Lord gives me? Do I view these with gratitude? Like, yes, I want to join God in what he's calling me to, what he's inviting me to. Or do you view obeying God 
like going to the DMV. Like, man, I do not want to do what he's asked me to do. So we're turning the page in the book of Jonah, and this is week four. We're going to be in the book of Jonah one more week after this one. Next weekend, we're going to wrap up our study in the book of Jonah. It's going to be a a great message next weekend as we look at the fourth chapter, and we're left with this crazy cliffhanger at the book of Jonah. It frustrates some people. We're going to see what the Lord has to teach us next weekend in chapter four. But today, we're going to be in chapter three. And chapter 3 is one of the examples in the book of Jonah on why it's such a beautiful book. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're still exploring the Christian faith, we're so honored you chose to worship with us. And, And even people who are not Christians, they appreciate the book of Jonah because of just the literary masterpiece that it is. And you see that really in the first three, first three verses of chapter 3. Remember, the book of Jonah opened this way. I'm going to show you the first three verses of chapter 1. Then you're going to see the first three verses of chapter 3. And and, and a light bulb is going to click as you read this. You're going to understand, oh, this, it's like the exact same command of God to Jonah, but this time he responds differently. It's even the same language. Notice the first three verses of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee. He got up to run. And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know that God doesn't let him run, that God chases after him, that God sends a storm, he sends sailors, um, he sends a great fish, he appoints all of these things to bring Jonah back to himself. And then Jonah prays this incredible prayer, which we looked at last week in chapter 2. He comes back to the Lord, he remembers the Lord's salvation, he remembers how great God is. And then now chapter 3. Now notice the language of chapter 3, the same three verses of chapter 3, very similar to chapter 1, but notice what's different here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, so same command, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So chapter 1, Jonah hears the command from God. He gets up and he flees from the Lord's presence or attempts to flee from the Lord's presence. Chapter 3, Jonah hears the same command, go to the great city of Nineveh. He gets up and this time he goes. This time he obeys God, which is really beautiful. I love that phrase in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Because The book doesn't end with chapter 2, with God saying, Jonah, shame on you. You disobeyed me. I rescued you. I sent a fish to save you. That fish has spit you off on dry land. Now go home. I'm going to find somebody else because I don't want you to be the one who speaks for me. You blew this the first time. No, that's not what chapter 3 says. Chapter 3 is beautiful because God sends the exact same message to Jonah a second time and invites Jonah to join him on the mission of going to the city of Nineveh. God does not wash his hands of Jonah. God still wants to use Jonah. He wants to give him another opportunity. And he wants to, no matter what your life has looked like up to this point, no matter how many times you have walked away from God, he still invites you. 
He still invites you to be with him, to enjoy him. And, and even, this is going to sound crazy for some of you, but even to be used by him to impact other people. I mean, Jonah for sure felt like, some of us have felt, man, there's no way God is going to want to use me. Look at my past. Look at all the times I've disappointed God. Look at how messed up my life is currently. I mean, part of Jonah likely just wanted to go home. But God brings his word to Jonah a second time with the exact same command. So get this. This is beautiful. In the midst of Jonah's disobedience, the command of the Lord is the same. In the midst of Jonah's wandering, the invitation from the Lord is consistent. Now, let's see what takes place. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city. We're going to read the rest of chapter 3. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least, which means everyone in this city. Historians say this is the greatest revival or one of the greatest revivals in human history. It's unprecedented. 120,000 people live in this city. And the greatest, so the upper echelon of society to the least, the kings to the very least, the, the poets to the plumbers, the leaders to the laborers, all of them, all of them declare this fast. They wear sackcloth, which was the symbol of humbling themselves before God, and they worship God. God sends revival in an unprecedented fashion to the city of Nineveh, which is where the Assyrians lived and was a city that many people viewed as there's no way those people over there will ever love God. And yet God is rescuing them and bringing them to himself from the greatest of them to the least. Look at verse 6. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne. He took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. This is crazy. The king is saying, I'm not standing in this moment as king. I'm taking off my kingly robes and I'm humbling myself before this God that Jonah has told me about. And then he declares this to all of the people. He's serious. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. So he is declaring a fast, not just for people. He's like, man, let's even have the animals fast. I mean, this guy is going all out. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. In the original language, this is to Yahweh. They are praying to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Now, I want you to circle the word wrongdoing in verse 8. We're going to come back to that. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And so this is a, a beautiful picture of what it really means to turn away from lesser things and turn to God. This is a real picture of what it means to what the Bible calls repent. Because this king is not saying, God, I will follow you if you do these things for me. The king is actually saying, I am turning away from evil no matter what God does in response. I hope he's going to turn his wrath away from us. But even if he doesn't, we've been wrong and we turn away from our wrongdoing. God saw their actions, verse 10, that they had turned from their evil ways. 
So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. So God has mercy and compassion on the city of Nineveh. And there's three things that I want you to see in this passage of how does this story really relate to you? What what does this have to do with you? We've been inviting you over the last several weeks to see yourself as Jonah, because all of us have run from God, and yet God's grace is always bigger than our running. God has always pursued us in the midst of the times that we've walked away from him. But now when we get to chapter three, how am I like Jonah? How are you like Jonah? How do you see yourself in this story? And what you're going to see if you press in over the next couple of moments is you, just as Jonah, have a similar call to go with God to impact people outside of you. That just like Jonah, you have a mission that God has invited you to. And I want you to see that in the next couple of moments. And so three thoughts, if you're taking notes. Number one, we see this in chapter three. Rescued people rescue people. Jonah has been rescued by God, by the grace of God. And because he's been rescued, he wants others to be rescued. Rescued people always rescue people. And so in chapter one, there's the command of God to go. And Jonah says, no. In chapter three, there's the command of God to go. And this time, Jonah enjoys the command or obeys the command and goes with God in the command. And so what changed in Jonah from chapter one to chapter three? I mean, we know the story, but let's just remind ourselves. Here's what changed. Jonah remembered how great God is. Because when he tried to walk away from God, God kept chasing him. Jonah remembered God is in charge of the land and the sea. He's in charge of the fish of the sea. He's in charge of everything. And he doesn't look at my disobedience as no big deal. And he doesn't look at my heart, this is Jonah, as um, I'm a good guy who just wants to run from him. No, he looks at my disobedience as a big deal because he's a holy and great God. So he remembered the greatness of God. He also remembered the grace of God. As he was in the belly of the large fish, he remembered that God loved him and God's grace and mercy was bigger than his sinfulness, that God's love of him was bigger than his foolishness. And so he woke up one day on the beach after being spit up from the whale and he remembered this great God has loved me and has been gracious to me. And has pursued me even in all of my foolish wandering from him. And now he's inviting me to go declare him to others. And Jonah says, yes, because people who have been rescued obey God to see other people rescued. Rescued people rescue people. I first learned this the summer after I graduated high school. I learned it not in a seminary class, which I've, I've been to seminary school, preacher school, but I learned this from a group of construction guys, construction workers that I worked with. My dad was the civil engineer at a plant in the New Orleans area where I grew up, and he oversaw all of the contractors and the in-house construction company at that plant. And so he was able to get me a job. And I worked construction the summer before I went off to college. There are about 300 guys on this construction site in South Louisiana. And four of us claimed to be Christians. There may have been some others, but four of us said, you know, verbally in front of other people, 
we follow Jesus. And we would get together every single day at the end of the lunchtime at this construction job site. We got together in the tool room. Now, we called it the tool room. People who made fun of us for getting together called it the chapel. And they would make fun of us when we went into the tool room. And we'd spend, I don't know, 30 or so minutes at the end of lunch every day reading a short devotional, praying for each other. And I saw in these guys, Duke, Denny, and Gary, we all worked on different crews in this construction site. And I saw in these guys what it means for a regular person to go to work and not think about just the job, but to understand that because they've been rescued, they are here to declare the glory of God and the grace of God to other people that rescued people, rescue people. Because as we're sitting around that table in the tool room slash chapel, they're praying for guys on their crew. They're asking, hey, pray for this guy. His marriage is struggling. Hey, pray for this guy. His mom just got diagnosed with cancer. He's really wrestling. Hey, pray for this guy. I think he's open to the Christian faith. I saw that they worked hard. I saw that they honored the foremen, the supervisors. I saw that they viewed their job job is more than just a job. But I also saw the cost sometimes that it means to follow Jesus on a job site. One day we walked into the chapel slash tool room and the table that we met at had been overturned. The chairs were on the ground and somebody had spray painted 666 uh, on the wall. The foreman came in and said, guys, you can't meet in here anymore. You have to meet, um, you have to stay in the cafeteria and, and, and you can't come in here at the end of lunch. This is getting disruptive, um, what you guys are doing. So we, we did, we stayed in the cafeteria the next day and I wondered, I'm a new Christian. I'm like, I've been a Christian less than a year at this point. And I wondered what, what would we do? And so we stayed in the, at the table in the lunchroom and Duke says, hey guys, let's go ahead and have our Bible study. And so we read the Bible and then he says, let's pray together. I'm going to be honest, I'm a bit nervous of what this is going to feel like. There's a whole bunch of rowdy guys in the cafeteria, which is these double wide trailers put together. Um, and we're all in there and everybody's looking at us. And, and so I'm peer, I'm peer pressured in. We hold hands and pray. And I look up and there's a guy that has walked behind Gary, a guy from the scaffolding crew, big buffed out, pecs just flexing all over the place guy. And you didn't mess with dudes from the scaffolding crew. They wore their pants low and when they bent over, it was just not pretty. You didn't mess with these cats. These were the biggest, baddest dudes in the crew. And he's behind Gary and he's taking his, his uh, Doritos and he's crunching them in his head as we are praying. The next day, the foreman came and said, hey man, you guys can go back. You guys can go back to the, you guys can go back to the tool room, the chapel. And so we met in there every day. And man, these guys loved Jesus so much. They were regular guys, they had struggles. But I saw in them what it means for someone to show up at work and to realize that work is bigger than just the work. That there's people there. There's people there. They loved. While some might have looked at them like they were freaks because of their faith, they loved those people. They forgave those people. They pursued those people. I prayed that whole summer that somebody would become a Christian. Because in my mind... I wanted it really for Duke, Denny, and Gary because I, I, mean, I saw how they would get made fun of, how they would get ribbed. People didn't pick on me because my dad was like that, you know, but I saw how those guys got, got ribbed. Nobody became a Christian that summer, nobody. A year and a half later, I was speaking in 
uh, the New Orleans area at this event. I got asked to speak at this thing, and it was close to this church that had this conference, like this men's conference going on. And so my dad told me that, hey, the guys you work construction with are going to be at that conference. And so I said, man, I'm going to go. So I pulled in late just as it was ending, and guys were walking out of the worship center of like the sanctuary area into the thing. And I was pulling up. I was literally walking into while they were walking out. And I see, Duke is the first one I see. I haven't seen him in a year and a half. This is sophomore year of college. I run up, hug the dude. Man, dude, it's so good to see you. Uh, Denny's there, Gary's there. I look and behind them, I couldn't believe it. I, mean, I had to do a double take. Behind Duke is the dude from the scaffolding crew. He's got this Lord's Gym t-shirt on like all new Christians wore back in the day. You know, he's he just... He's, he's got that on, and I'm like, dude. And he's like, Eric, tears in his eyes. I'll never forget this moment. Tears in his eyes. He says, Eric, man, we cannot even fit in the tool room anymore because so many people are meeting Jesus on the job site. Man, I saw a picture of what it looks like for regular people to view their job as more than a job. And you may be saying, man, I don't have the same command that Jonah received. You actually do. The exact same word. God told Jonah to go and understand that God has told you to go. This is known as the Great Commission. This is what Jesus told us, his followers, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go. Go. You, you, you already have the command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have the same command to go. God has already ordained. You may think the driveway that you're going to pull into this afternoon is just by happenstance. It's not. God in his sovereignty and his providence has put you to live exactly where you live. You may think the corner office or the cubicle is just by coincidence. It's not by coincidence. God has ordained in his good pleasure exactly where you live, exactly where you work, and he has given you the same exact command that he gave Jonah. Just as he rescued Jonah from drowning in an ocean, he has rescued you and rescued me from drowning in our own sin. Just as he has been good and gracious to Jonah in this story, he has been good and gracious to us, and he has given us the same command to go and declare how gracious and loving he is to the people around us. Rescued people rescue people. They do. That's number one. <clears throat> number two, and this is really good news, the power is in the message, not the messenger. Jonah was not a great messenger. He broke all of the, the rules of a great communicator. Some of you had read, have read Aristotle. Aristotle said, hey, to be a great communicator, you need three things, ethos, logos, and pathos. Ethos is credibility. Um, Jonah did not have credibility. He was an outsider. He didn't even like those people. You, you, should, you should never be a communicator who doesn't like the people you communicate to. I, I love you. I, I love you. I love, one of the reasons I love teaching here isn't just because I love teaching. I love you. I want, I want what's best for you. Jonah wasn't like that when it came to Nineveh. But yet God used him. He, he didn't have ethos. Pathos is passion, according to Aristotle's model of communication. Jonah was not passionate for these people. Logos is logic. Jonah's message was actually 
not very um, nuanced. He basically walked around Nineveh and said, repent or God's going to kill you. I mean, it really wasn't that (laughs) compelling of a message, you know? But the power is not in the messenger. The power's in the message. We are frail and fragile jars of clay, the scripture says, but the power is not from us. The power is from the message that is within us, the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus who rescues people and gives forgiveness to people and takes people's sins upon himself. That's the message we carry and the message we steward, and the power is in the message. It's not in us. And some of you have heard this before. I've heard preachers say it. Hey, you better clean up your life because... God can't use a dirty vessel. Have you heard that? Or, hey, you need to to fix your broken life because God wants to use whole people, not broken people. Um, let Let me just be straight up. All God has is dirty vessels and broken people. That's all we are. That's what we are. That's what he has. And and he delights in taking us in our brokenness. And using us not because we're perfect, but because he's perfect. He takes imperfect people to put on display the glorious, perfect message of the gospel of Jesus. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And some of you are weighted down today thinking you cannot make an impact where you live, where you work, and where you play because people remember this about your life or you had this conversation or you feel like you're a hypocrite or the enemy has lied to you and say you'll never be used because of this thing in your past. Those are lies from the enemy. When you will speak up and declare how awesome Jesus Jesus is, God will use you because the power is not in you. It's in the message. Do you remember Jonah chapter one? Jonah was running from God. He was at asleep in the bottom of the ship. And when he finally opened his mouth and said, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the God of the land and the sea, the sailors were converted because he finally spoke up. And he, God used him in the middle of his disobedience. God is not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for people who realize they're frail and we steward the glorious and perfect message of Jesus. The power is in the message, not the messenger. And here's number three. The Lord desires for people to be made right with God and to be treated rightly. I want to explain this because there, there's some debate among Christians sometimes, and I want you to understand where we are as a church. There, there's debate among Christians sometimes on um, which one should we focus on, people being made right with God, which basically is what we declared last week, a message of forgiveness. And we had 111 people last week say, yes, and, and I believe, and that, that's people being made right with God. Or should a church and us Christians focus on ensuring people in our culture are treated rightly because they're created in the image of God? And the answer is both, that God cares about both. The revival in Nineveh was a revival where people were made right with God, but God also cared that people were treated rightly. 
In fact, look back at verse 8. The king gave this edict that each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. I asked you to circle the word wrongdoing. In the original Hebrew, if you have a study Bible, you'll probably notice this in the notes. In the original Hebrew, the word for wrongdoing can also be translated violence. God looked at Nineveh with 120,000 people in it and saw that people were not being treated as image bearers of God. The Assyrians were a violent people. They were violent to their enemies, but there also was violence internally. And so people that God created, that he fashioned and formed while they were in their mother's wombs, that he loved and longed for, they were being oppressed by violence in the city of Nineveh. And God's heart broke for those people. Yes, he wanted them to be made right with God, but he also wanted them to be treated rightly. The theological way to say it would be that God cares for both justification and justice. He cares for both. Justification is the message that you can be right with God, not because of your work, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. And you can now stand right before God because of Jesus and his grace. And then justice is that we care that people in our society are treated rightly, justly, with kindness and goodness and compassion because every single person was formed and fashioned in the image of God. And what we're saying, Jonah chapter 3 reminds us of, is that both are true. Both are true. That God cares that you would be made right with God and your friends and your family would be made right with God, but he also cares that people would be treated rightly. And so in Nineveh, there was 120,000 people and violence was the issue where people weren't being treated rightly. And I want you to know what we believe are some of the issues in Orange County. There's 34 cities in Orange County. 3.2 million people. When God looked at the city of Nineveh and saw 120,000 people, he saw people who were not being treated rightly. What does God see when he looks at our cities and our county? What does he see and where are people not being treated rightly and where are we to step in? John Stott said this, we should not ask what is wrong with the world. And so some of the things I'm about to show you about Orange County As we look at these things, we should not ask what is wrong with the world, for that diagnosis has already been given. Our disobedience, our sinfulness has corrupted this world. Rather, we should ask what has happened to salt and light, and we are salt and light. And so I want to show you what we're doing. I want you to take this out of your bulletin, everybody. I want you to be proud of our church And in Nineveh, it was violence. In Orange County, there's three areas that our team has identified that our church for years has pursued justice, people being treated rightly in these things. And there's, just so you know, this is not like we got together on last week and put these things on a whiteboard and we're just now deciding to go after these things. We currently have 1,500 volunteers from Mariners involved in these on a regular basis. 1,500 of you who are serving. It's the stat I'm most jacked about. And about six of you were excited too. So (laughs) thank you for being with me. But I want you to see uh, the areas that we are really focused on. At-risk youth. Statistics tell us that these youth without intervention are gonna have a difficult time flourishing and thriving. And so we step in with our Lighthouse Community Centers, foster youth and family ministry and child sponsorships. And I'm so excited because we're about to launch a new Lighthouse Community Center in Huntington Beach in January. That's at-risk youth. 
individuals in crisis. These are people who are image bearers of God and they fall on hard times or trauma intersects their lives and they are having a difficult time navigating life. And so we step in through our thrift store, through our food pantry, disaster relief and legal ministry where we step in and help immigrants navigate the difficult um, system of being able to, to become legal here. And so that's, we work with them there. And then underserved communities. We've worked with our city to identify the following communities that are often overlooked and neglected. We think of our families with people with disabilities and special needs. And so we have launched, as you know, an exceptional families ministry, ESL, English as Second Language, and international students and members of our military. These are people who are often neglected and underserved within our cities. And so we step in with workshops, language tutoring, community events, hospitality, and ongoing relationships. And so these are things that we are regularly plugged into. Now I want you to turn over to the other side. If you have not yet served in one of these areas, this is Outreach Weekend. And so my job in the next couple of minutes is to get you to serve at one of these events. Not if you're already serving, but if you, I know some of you are new to our church and this is really the heartbeat of us. We don't wanna be a group of people who just gather in a, in, a, in a box and sing songs and study the scripture. We want those songs, the moments in here, the time we spend in the scripture to impact us where we wanna serve people the way Christ has served us. And so in all of those areas, so at-risk youth, we have a foster family Christmas party. I want to encourage you to sign up for one of these, just one. I know some of you overachievers are getting jacked. You're like, I'm going to do all of them. I just want you to do one. I want you to do one. Here's why. We need spots for everybody to be able to do one. We have thousands of opportunities right now during this Christmas season, which some of you kicked off in September, but you should have waited, during the Christmas season to serve people in our cities. And here are things we're doing to serve, to serve people. Uh, with Individuals in Crisis, we have a disaster relief event where we're gonna put together kits for kids in areas where there's disasters. We have a resource center and food pantry serve. And look at the underserved communities. We have a Dancing Without Limits, which is gonna be this really fun dance for families with exceptional needs. And we have a food storing event where we're gonna serve 800 families at Thanksgiving. And so these are things that your church is doing over the next six weeks. And I want, I want to invite you to just do one of these with us. And here's what's going to happen as you surf. You're going to look at Orange County differently. I want this for you. It's not just because I want these people served. I do want these people served, but I want this for you. I, I want this for me. I don't want us to just consume from Orange County. There's a lot of awesome things to consume from here. But I want us to have compassion on Orange County. And to look at Orange County the same way that the Lord looks at Orange County. That, and he cares that people are treated rightly. That all of the image bearers of God in Orange County have us as Christians, as salt and light, who view them with compassion and care because that's how the Lord views them. So please, everybody, does everybody got this? Everybody got this? Here's what you do. You just tear off this section here. You check the one you're interested in. In a moment, we're gonna have a bucket pass by. You drop this in the bucket. We will contact you with more information. So please, every, I want everybody to play. I want everybody to be a part. And then lastly, everybody take this out of your bulletin as well. These things that we just talked about that have 1,500 volunteers that 
we do things every day for at-risk youth, individuals in crisis, and underserved communities. They are financed by what happens in the next couple of moments. So some of you are new to Mariners, and I want to explain how we operate financially. Every single week, we have offering boxes in the back. Most of us actually give online, and the giving on a regular week finances all of the ministries of Mariners. But twice a year, we take a separate offering. And this is going to be random for you in a moment because rarely do we pass a bucket. We, we hardly ever do that. Twice a year, we have a special offering where we say everything that gets put in this bucket is going to go towards the things we're doing in Orange County to care for the poor, to serve the marginalized, to meet these needs. And so I, I want every one of us to participate. Even if this is like your first time, you're like, dude, I'm my first time here. Give a dollar, give two dollars. Here's why. In a couple of weeks, you're going to start seeing images of all the awesome things we do in Orange County. And I want you, as you see them, to know I played. I was a part of that. I was a part. For some of you, it's $2. For some of you, it's $20. For some, it's $200. For some of you, it's $2,000. For some, right now, because you care about this city and because the Lord has given you the means, you can write a $20,000 check. We'll need many of you to do that. I need some of you in this service to write a $200,000 check. Because as you do so, we're able to more quickly launch the new Lighthouse Community Center. And we're able to really serve people outside of us. And so this is, this is big. This is, this is big for my family. Last night, Kay and I talked. We have our regular giving, but baby, what are we going to do? I'm calling her baby. I'm not calling you baby. Um, <laughs> what are we going to do separate? This is over and above. This is outside of our regular giving. But I, I, I care about these things. I know God cares about these things. I know he cares about at-risk youth who need us to step in. I know he cares about people who are in crisis. And if you notice, we, we're working with city officials to step in. We're not sure how yet. We're going to gather a team here to explore on how we can help those who are experiencing homelessness. That's going to be a new area that we step into. And then underserved communities. I care about these areas. So based on your means, based on how God's blessed you, I'm asking you to be a part. But the biggest thing I'm going to ask our outreach team tomorrow is not how much money. It's going to be how many people played. Because that's how, that's how I'm going to evaluate um, how I did on my message today. Because I'm trying to get you engaged. I want you to care. For the, the amazing place the Lord has put us. But he's put us here not just to consume. I love consuming from Orange County. It's a great, you should consume from Orange County. But not only consume from Orange County. We should care and have compassion for those outside of us. I'm going to pray and we're going to go into a song. And I want us to stay seated for a moment because I want you, some of you may need to ask your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, hey, which one are we going to sign up for? What, what are we going to give? And so I want you to stay seated as we sing. And I want you to prepare and get ready for when the bucket passes by for you to participate. Jesus, you've rescued us. Help us to step in and rescue others. You've cared for us. Help us to express care to others. It's in your name I pray. Amen. I'm laying 
That's it. For the sake of the world, we want his word, his compassion towards us to burn like a fire. If you have questions about any of those opportunities for, um, that we've mentioned for Outreach Weekend, we'll have our outreach team out on the patio. They'll have black shirts on. You'll also notice on the lawn that we have our Christmas gift lot. We're going to have that all the way through December 7th and 8th. So really for the next month, it's an opportunity for us to give gifts. We have about 6,000 people that we're going to give gifts to over the Christmas season from families of military to the at-risk youth that we serve. So I encourage you to check out the gift lot. If your need today is for prayer, we have a prayer wall right here to my left. Um, you're right that people would love to meet with you and pray with you for anything going on in your life. And we have an elder prayer room if your need is prayer for healing. To get to the elder room, you go through the doors in the back and you take a right. Let's ex ex stand and receive God's blessing as we go. Jesus, your sons and daughters that have their hands extended to you now, I pray over them for this new week. I do pray that you would bless them this week, that they would sense your presence. I pray that you would remind them that you love them, that in the moments when they feel like a broken vessel, that you would remind them that you love to use broken vessels. I pray that you would use them this week to impact and influence people around them. I pray that you would protect them and walk with them and cause your face to shine on them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.